0: Section 94 of The United States. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Hawaii in November 2020. The World's Story, Volume 13, The United States. Edited by Eva March Tappan. Section 94. The Temecula Valley, an American Grand Pre, eighteen sixty nine, by Helen Hunt Jackson. Most of the original Mexican grants included tracts of land on which Indians were living, sometimes large villages of them. In many of these grants, in accordance with the old Spanish law or custom, was incorporated a clause protecting the Indians they were to be left undisturbed in their homes the portion of the grant occupied by them did not belong to the grantee in any such sense as to entitle him to eject them the land on which they were living and the land they were cultivating at the time of the grant belonged to them as long as they pleased to occupy it in many of the grants the boundaries of the indians reserved portion of the property were carefully marked off and the instances were rare in which mexican grantees disturbed or in any way interfered with indians living on their estates there was no reason why they should there was plenty of land and to spare and it was simply a convenience and an advantage to have a skilled and docile indian laborer on the ground but when the easy-going generous improvident mexican needed or desired to sell his grant and the sharp american was on hand to buy it then was brought to light the helplessness of the indians position what cared the sharp american for that sentimental clause without injury to the indians not a farthing why should he his government before him had decided that all the lands belonging to the old missions, excepting the small portions technically held as church property, and therefore out of commerce, were government lands. None of the Indians living on those lands at the time of the American possession were held to have any right, not even color of right, to them. That they and their ancestors had been cultivating them for three-quarters of a century made no difference americans wishing to preempt claims on any of these so-called government lands did not regard the presence on them of indian families or communities as any more of a barrier than the presence of so many coyotes or foxes they would not hesitate to certify the land office that such lands were unoccupied still less then need the purchaser of tracts covered by old mexican grants hold himself bound to regard the poor cumberers of the ground who having no legal right whatever had been all their years living on the tolerance of a silly good-hearted mexican proprietor the american wanted every rod of his land every drop of water on it his schemes were boundless his greed insatiable he had no use for indians His plan did not embrace them, and could not enlarge itself to take them in. They must go. This is, in brief, the summing up of the way in which has come about the present pitiable state of the California Mission Indians. In some instances, whole villages of them had been driven off at once by fraudulently procured and fraudulently enforced claims. One of the most heartrending of these cases was that of the Temecula Indians. The Temecula Valley lies in the northeast corner of San Diego County. It is watered by two streams and has a good soil. It was an appanage of the San Luis Rey mission, and the two hundred Indians who were living there were the children and grandchildren of San Luis Rey neophytes. The greater part of the valley was under cultivation they had cattle horses sheep in eighteen sixty five a special agent of the united states government held a grand indian convention there eighteen villages were represented and the numbers of inhabitants stock vineyards orchards were reported the indians were greatly elated at this evidence of the government's good intentions toward them They set up a tall liberty-pole, and bringing forth a United States flag, which they had kept carefully hidden away ever since the beginning of the civil war, they flung it out to the winds in token of their loyalty. It is astonishing, says one of the San Diego newspapers of the day, that these Indians have behaved so well, considering the pernicious teachings they have had from the secessionists in our midst there was already anxiety in the minds of the temecula indians as to their title to their lands all that was in existence to show that they had any was the protecting clause in an old mexican grant to be sure the man was still alive who had assisted in marking off the boundaries of their part of this original temecula grant but his testimony could establish nothing beyond the letter of the clause as it stood they earnestly implored the agent to lay the case before the interior department whether he did or not i do not know but this is the sequel on april fifteenth eighteen sixty nine an action was brought in the district court in san francisco by five men against andrew johnson Thaddeus stevens horace Greeley, and one thousand indians and other parties whose names are unknown It was a bill to quiet title, an action to recover possession of certain real estate bounded thus and thus. It included the Temecula Valley. It was based on grants made by Governor Michael Torina in 1844. The defendants cited were to appear in court within 20 days. The Indians appealed to the Catholic bishop to help them he wrote to one of the judges an imploring letter saying can you not do something to save these poor indians from being driven out but the scheme had been too skillfully plotted there was no way or at any rate no way was found of protecting the indians the day came when a sheriff bringing a posse of men and a warrant which could not be legally resisted arrived to eject the indian families from their houses and drive them out of the valley the indian's first impulse was as determined as it could have been if they had been white to resist the outrage but on being reasoned with by friends who sadly and with shame explained to them that by thus resisting they would simply make it the duty of the sheriff to eject them by force and if necessary shoot down any who opposed the executing of his warrant they submitted But they refused to lift hand to the moving they sat down men and women on the ground and looked on some wailing and weeping some dogged and silent while the sheriff and his men took out of the neat little adobe houses their small stores of furniture clothes and food and piled them on waggons to be carried where anywhere the exiles chose so long as they did not chance to choose a piece of any white man's land a mexican woman is now living in that temecula valley who told me the story of this moving the facts i had learned before from records of one sort and another but standing on the spot looking at the ruins of the little adobe houses and the walled graveyard full of graves And hearing this woman tell how she kept her doors and windows shut, and could not bear to look out while the deed was being done, I realized how different a thing is history seen from history read. It took three days to move them. Procession after procession, with cries and tears, walked slowly behind the wagons carrying their household goods. They took the tule roofs off the little houses, and carried them along they could be used again. Some of these Indians, wishing to stay as near as possible to their old home, settled in a small valley, only three miles and a half away to the south. It was a dreary, hot little valley, bare, with low rocky butts cropping out on either side, and with scanty growths of bushes. There was not a drop of water in it. Here the exiles went to work again built their huts of reeds and straw set up a booth of boughs for the priest when he came to say mass in and a rude wooden cross to consecrate their new graveyard on a stony hillside they put their huts on barren knolls here and there where nothing could grow on the tillable land they planted wheat or barley or orchards some patches not ten feet square the largest not over three or four acres they hollowed out the base of one of the rocky butts sunk a well there and found water i think none of us who saw the little refugee village will ever forget it the whole place was a series of pictures and knowing its history we found in each low roof and paling the dignity of heroic achievement near many of the huts stood great round baskets woven of twigs reaching half- way up to the eaves, and looking like huge birds' nests. These were their granaries, holding acorns and wheat. Women with red pottery jars on their heads and on their backs were creeping about, bent over, carrying loads of faggots that would have seemed heavy for a donkey. Aged women sitting on the ground were diligently plaiting baskets, too busy or too old to give more than a passing look at us a group of women was at work washing wool in great stone bowls probably hundreds of years old the interiors of some of the houses were exquisitely neat and orderly with touching attempts at adornment pretty baskets and shelves hanging on the walls and over the beds canopies of bright calico on some of the beds the sheets and pillowcases were trimmed with white hand-wrought lace made by the indian women themselves This is one of their arts, which date back to the mission days. Some of the lace is beautiful and fine, and of patterns like the old church laces. It was pitiful to see the poor creatures in almost every one of the hovels bringing out a yard or two of their lace to sell, and there was hardly a house which had not the lacemaker's frame hanging on the wall, with an unfinished piece of lace stretched in it. The making of this lace requires much time and patience. It is done by first drawing out all the lengthwise threads of a piece of fine linen or cotton, then the threads which are left are sewed over and over into an endless variety of intricate patterns. Sometimes the whole design is done in solid buttonhole stitch, where solid figures are filled in on an open network made of the threads. The baskets were finely woven, of good shapes, and excellent decorative patterns in brown and black on yellow or white. Every face except those of the very young was sad beyond description. They were stamped indelibly by generations of suffering, immovable distrust also underlying the sorrow. It was hard to make them smile. To all our expressions of goodwill and interest they seemed indifferent. And received in silence the money we paid them for baskets and lace. The word temecula is an Indian word, signifying grief or mourning. It seems to have had a strangely prophetic fitness for the valley to which it was given. End of section 94.